Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Tuesday, September the 11th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Your first daily dose of happy for the day, and uh, we hope that your week is off to a good start. We are continuing our ongoing effort to make sure every single day is a happy one for you, so that when you tune in, you can get your daily dose of happy. And uh, it's working. I mean, the, the good news, Cindy, is it's really working because we're seeing it in the numbers. We're seeing more and more people tuning in to listen to the episodes and one of the uh, one, one of the ways there are lots of ways you can measure this kind of thing but the way that most of the industry measures it in terms of you know like if they're selling advertising or something is in how many people listen to a particular episode and how does that work out on all the episodes on average and that's where we've been seeing increases in a significant way for the first time since like last winter really um, we kind of reached a stagnation point during the spring and through the summer months, but we're we're back to rising again, and it's fun. It's fun to see that more and more people are tuning in. Now we are doing some active um, promotional work, both within the podcast, encouraging people to subscribe, of course, but also outside the podcast, um, reaching out to. We're, lately, I've been reaching out to other podcasters, other people doing Law of Attraction podcasts, and we're going to start uh, doing some exchanges with them to uh, basically help each other expand our own audiences. So, you know, there's that going on. And, and plus, there's also just the plain put it out there into the universe and see what comes back routine. And toward that end, I got to tell you, I did something last night in my sleep that oh. I didn't know you could do. <laughs> um, and I say that because Abraham tells us, Abraham Hicks tells us that when we sleep, we basically are stopping our attracting and we are stopping our um, resistance. Our resistance goes away while we sleep. We take it back on when we wake up and we start focusing all the negatives again. But nevertheless, in our sleep, our resistance goes away and we're, we're no longer doing any attracting. So it's kind of like a timeout kind of situation. So, you know, I, I always assume, well, that must be the case. Well, last night, I found myself actively visualizing the show getting more and more popular. I mean, I was, in my mind, I was saying to myself, I'm going to pretend that the show is getting more and more popular. You know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are tuning into every episode. And I started doing that. And I realized when I woke up, I did that for quite some time. I don't know how long. You know how it is when you're asleep. You don't really know how long it is. But, I mean, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> well, you know, there's – um, I've always taken a little bit of issue with the statement that you stop attracting and that, you know – now, I do believe that you have less resistance just because your body's relaxed. And I think that a lot of the resistance we experience uh, is physical. Um, or at least we we feel it physically as well as you know emotionally, mentally, um, and so it's the same with meditation, right? You re you get so relaxed that there's That's always true. much less resistance. Otherwise, you don't sleep, as we found out. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, but you know, there's this idea that we stop attracting. Um, it it's contrary to what some other teachers say, and I know that. One thing I always found interesting was the, the studies that show that our brain is even more active when we're asleep mm -hmm. than when we're awake. Very often. You know, it seems like, well, we go to sleep and everything just stops. But our brain actually continues to be 
active. And there was a book that I read years ago. I remember the author is Eric Mizell, who's written many books, but this particular book, I can't remember the title. I want to say it was either, I think it's called Sleep Thinking, but it's a whole system of how to program, you know, your mind to where you can get important things done while you're asleep. And then we we know stories and stories of people who have woken up with an invention or a, a solution to a problem that they had. Um, I love this story of the man that invented, now I can't remember who it was, the sewing machine needle. Do you know that story? I do not, no. Well, the automatic sewing machine, if you look at a hand sewing needle, you know, one end has the point and the other end has the little hole for the thread. Right. But on a sewing machine, the hole is on the end with the point. Right, yep. And before that happened with the, you know, automatic sewing machines that they were trying to get to work, they kept having a problem. And, and it was because they were creating the needles the same way with the thread at the top. And it was yeah. just, it just wasn't working right. And sure. the man that was trying to invent it was really, he knew he just had it, right? It's like, I'm, I'm almost there, but I just got to figure out what to change about this. <laughs> and one night he had a dream and in the dream, there were all of these like, native peoples with spears and the spear they were holding these spears and at the top of the spear there was like a hole (laughs) and he woke up and he realized that's what i need to do the sharp end needs to have the hole so i mean he was attracting information and solutions while he was asleep right Mm, yeah i would say so i mean so so here's my question for you because this is great were you did you consciously make this decision and start thinking this thinking process as you were still awake but falling asleep well well that's the question really because part of the definition of sleep is that you're not conscious <laughs> you're asleep and no, but I'm yet... saying, did you go when you were still awake did you decide okay this is how i'm gonna no. go to sleep i'm gonna start thinking oh okay no not so, at all but okay. but i but here is the interesting part from my perspective when i was asleep I actually found myself in the mental process that I often am in when I am trying to be a deliberate creator, when I'm trying to focus on what it is I want to focus on and keep my mind off of what I don't want to focus on. And I I found myself saying, okay, I'm feeling very relaxed now. This is a good time to try this. Let's try doing some deliberate creation. And so I'm going to deliberately focus on attracting huge numbers of new listeners to the podcast. And then I started doing the process. So I was an active participant in the dream. Now, I don't know about you. Most of my dreams where I'm doing stuff, I'm only like, I I think I'd call it like a passive participant. I I participate, but I'm being led by the dream. I'm not actively deciding what to do. In this case, I was actively deciding what to do. That's the part that's so different. And that's the part. Did you recognize that it was a, um, a dream? I mean, was it a lucid dream? Or uh, realized you were I, dreaming and- I think I recognized that I was asleep. I knew that much. Did I think of it as a dream? I don't think so. I don't think I thought of it as a dream. But I definitely knew that I was asleep. So, I don't know. Is that a dream? <laughs> that's so interesting. Well, you know, I mean, that's why I think one of the reasons, and there's scores of things written on lucid dreaming, but when when you're lucid in a dream suddenly you know that you're dreaming but mm. 
but within that knowledge is also the sense that you can control everything. Which is I an unusual. The- That's not for me anyway. That's an unusual sensation. That is not my normal behavior pattern in dreaming states. Some people, I've heard people say before that when they were younger, um, like kids, you know, like teenagers or younger mm-hmm. children, that most of their dreams were lucid. Really? Now, that's not the case with me. I mean, I had to, I had to really focus and read books and, you know, take action to, to create it. And uh, for a while, I was having a lucid dream probably once a week or so. But I mean, I really had to use a process to get there. It didn't just happen naturally. But the, I remember the first time it happened, it was really funny. I, I started having this dream that I was like, I was kind of in the trenches and there was like a, a war going on all around me. Ooh, yeah. And I had a telephone in my hand and in my dream, it wasn't, you know, here in the States, the number is 911 to call for an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my dream, it was something else. It was like 511 or something, but I couldn't dial it. It, it just wasn't working. Mm. And then all of a sudden it hit me that I was dreaming. And when I realized I was dreaming, I was like, ha, none of this can hurt me. This is awesome. <laughs> and I just stood up out of the little foxhole thing. I was like, okay. And I, I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember I was just infused with bravery and courage all of a sudden because, you know, I realized I was indestructible because this is just a dream. Um, and then of course, flying dreams and things like that. But one thing you will hear because people use lucid dreaming to consciously create. I mean, this is a a thing that people do. And when you talk to people who are, um, you know, actively doing this, a lot of them will tell you that, and I will agree that a lucid dream, which I've really only probably had less than a dozen in my whole life, but um, they're more, they feel more real than what real life feels like. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds, but it's true. I mean, I remember, I think that's why for a little while I stopped lucid dreaming because I was like a little bit afraid of it because it seemed so powerful. Okay. Um, So you're tapping into uh, something that's really powerful. I will keep going. (laughs) Well, that's just the thing. There was no prep for this. I mean, this was not something I intended to do. I was not planning to be a lucid dreamer at all. I was not planning to do anything like this. I have done things in the middle of the night, like uh, you and I were talking about lack of sleep the last couple of days because we've been experiencing it, you more than me. And uh, I know there have been times where I've been you know, awake in the middle of the night and I've tried to do processes because I figured, well, I'm awake. I might as well do something, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Me too. <laughs> you know, So I've done yeah. that, but I can't ever recall doing any deliberate creating or you know lucid dreaming or or whatever that was about doing deliberate creation this is the first time i've ever experienced that and i mean when you say well lots of people do that i'm saying well geez boy am i behind the times i'm apparently the only one who's not doing it (laughs) no no i wouldn't say that i'm just saying it is a thing i mean there are books about it i mean you know it's it's out there um would i say that most conscious creators are doing it no i mean not consciously maybe um I think it's a great thing to learn and to it's I'm kind of like getting that itch to start doing it again. Um, but I, what I think is really awesome. 
I think the awesome thing is that it, it just sort of came to you. Exactly. You know, we were talking last week about when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Right? That's right. We did, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's how, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, you're ready for it. It's a bit of a surprise when it comes, though, especially when you're not really, you know, expecting something to come that way. Because, I mean, that was the last thing I was expecting to have happen. I normally don't even remember my dreams, first of all. I'm oh, I'm one of those wow. people who very rarely remembers dreams. Uh, and, and when I do remember, it's an occasion, you know. So this is definitely occasion an occasion because I remembered them. Uh, but even more specifically, it was an occasion because I was a deliberate participant in them. I mean, even the time many years ago, back in, actually, I know when it was. It was in April 2008. Uh, my father had passed in March 2008. And I had a dream in late April um, that we had reconnected. We had this long conversation. I hugged him. It was all very visceral. It was a great experience. But even so, I don't really remember remember myself deliberately taking steps in a, in a significant way in that dream. I remember certain things that I, I, do, I did, like I saw my father and I was overwhelmed. And so I you know came up to him and hugged him and so forth. But um, most of the dream, even that particular dream, I was being led through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not like I was the one directing it. And right. that that's what makes the lucid dreaming part so interesting because I was directing mm-hmm. it. I was directing yeah. every <laughs> step along the way. In fact, I was doing something. This is really interesting. Yesterday, we had an interview with a woman named Julie Ryan, who's really fascinating. She calls herself a medical intuitive, which was a phrase I'd never heard. But basically, mm-hmm. she helps heal people intuitively, psychically. Right. And um, it was a great conversation. One of the things that we were, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that we were talking about was how, um, oh, geez, I just lost the thought. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, where was I going now, with this that? Is, this is the woman that does the, the LOA radio? Yes, she's on the Law of okay. Attraction Radio Network, right? She's one okay. of their one of their yes. stars, so to speak. And uh, let's see, what were we talking about uh, regarding dreaming, though? Well, you just well, point. What was the help me help me tie it together because stuff fell apart in my mind. You just made a point. What was the point you just made? Well, we we're just talking about you were talking about directing the dream, right? And having the having control over it and being an active participant in the dream instead of just the dream leading you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and, you, and you said something about what we did last week. What oh, was that when the student is ready. The oh, the st- well, yeah. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. That was a phrase that we used yesterday. We, well, we didn't quite use that exact phrase, but it was a message. It was a, it was a meaning that we, we used in yesterday's conversation. And in, in, the way we tie it together yesterday was a little bit different, but it was a case of, I guess I was ready. I just didn't know I was ready. Right. And and in the course of being ready, I found myself doing something unexpected. And that, that it was the, it was the thing of doing unexpected that was, well, unexpected. (laughs) It was just a surprise. It was an amazing surprise. And and here I am actively participate, participating. I was directing the dream. I was I was deciding to focus on uh, doing, you know, attracting more listeners to the show. I was deciding how I was going to do it. I was deciding to do it to do it by by focusing on well, let's let's pretend. I'm going to use the pretend method like I'm a 6-year-old, right? Another thing we talked about in yesterday's show. Um, I'm going to pretend that uh, the show is successful. I'm going to I'm going to act as if it were true in my mind. And I started doing that. I mean, it was literally step by step thinking like you would do consciously when you're doing deliberate creation in your conscious mode. And I'm doing it in my sleep. That's 
the part that's blowing me away. I was in really, I was in, in control every step of the way. <laughs> I, um, I would encourage you to write it down. Okay. Because what it sounds like, you know, I, I have this experience once in a while where I will wake up. Uh, well, actually, I have this experience pretty often where, where I will wake up and realize that I've just been dreaming that I've been giving a speech or that I've been teaching a class. And um, sometimes the things that are in those speeches or classes are like news to me. And I'll be like, oh, <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. And, you know, sometimes it turns into an essay that, that gets published or it turns into something that I use in my teaching. So, um, you know, about when my when my kids were younger, uh, at some point I homeschooled them. And so we no longer at that point had the get up and have to be out of the house by 7 a.m. kind of thing. And so I stopped waking up to an alarm. And I just I got really interested in dreaming and in how dreams work at that point. Um, well, I had been already and I'd been reading books. And now is my chance that mm -hmm. I got to wake up without an alarm. Mm -hmm. And so I started to keep a dream journal. And I'm bringing this up because you had said you're, you're someone that doesn't often remember dreams. Right. I, I didn't either. And so I thought I was reading all these books on dreams. I really wanted to get um, where I was a master at, like being able to take a dream apart and understand what my subconscious was trying to say to me. And so I um, decided to keep a dream journal and I would write in the journal even if I didn't remember, I would write no recall. I would write the date <laughs> and write no recall. Or sometimes I would remember just something that was almost not even like a movie. It was more like a snapshot, like a picture, just one tiny thing. I would write a fragment and just write what I just remembered. It might be nothing, you know, a, a color or a person. I remember this person in my dream, but I don't remember anything about it. But every day I would write, something even if it was just no recall no recall no recall mm -hmm. because what i was doing was training myself to know right that i'm going to write it down so i might as well have a dream because yeah, i'm right. not going to get out of writing it down just because i <laughs> dream and so suddenly i started remembering dreams and it got to the point where i would have 5 6 7 very vivid dreams in a night and i would just pick one it was like there was so much to write down. I would just decide. I said, if I if I write all of these down, I'll be here for two hours. So I just <laughs> I'm just gonna pick one that seems significant, and that's the most I ever had dream recall. Is when I was I kept a dream journal for about four years, mm. and that was the most I ever recalled my dreams. But boy, it was fascinating. And back then, I I didn't know about conscious creating. Mm. I mean, I think I was learning it, but not like I know it now. And so I keep thinking as I hear you talk about this, you know, <laughs> combining the two. Yeah, I want so to go back and do this. You're thinking you're going to try it again and actually do it from a deliberate creation point of view. Well, I think I do it. I think I do it pretty often, kind of like you did it. In other words, without any planning or processing on my part. But I kind of like the idea of going back to uh, the whole process processes of planning to have a lucid dream like for instance one of the things i'll tell you two things about lucid dreaming that will help um one of them is 
a reality check because like I said, lucid dreams are often so real that it's like, this is a way, and you want to know you're in a dream because then you can direct it, right? Then you can make it happen. Then you can say, decide I'm in my dream and I'm on the podcast and I'm going to have, I'm going to have, you know, 20 people try to call in this week and I'm going to experience, I can write the script. I can have whatever happened that I want to happen. I'm going to watch these numbers go way up. I'm going to, you know, hear from people how it's helping them, whatever. So you want to know you're in the dream. That's what makes it lucid is that, oh, I'm in a dream. I can do what I want. So the way that one way that people do that is they start paying attention to what time it is in their waking life. Look at the clock. And when you see a clock, look away and then look at it again. So I just looked at my clock. It says uh, I'm, I'm on central time. So it says 721. So it's 821 Eastern. I look away. I look back. Yeah, it's still 821 Eastern. <laughs> but in a dream, that will never happen in a dream. You look at your watch in a dream and it'll be noon. And then you look away and you look at your watch again. And it's four o'clock. <laughs> or it's some weird. It's gone backwards or something. So it's called a reality check. And it's a way that you can know I am I'm in a dream and now I can start directing this dream however I want to. So I think that that's like a really cool thing to do, but you have to do it. The other thing is if you're in a lucid dream and all of a sudden you feel yourself, oh no, I'm waking up. Because most of the time, if you're in a lucid dream, you're having so much fun. You don't really want to wake up. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm losing it. Oh no, I'm waking up. Spin around. Just spin around. Usually that will keep you in the dream. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> You sound a little skeptical. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I mean, literally, you're, I, I, I guess you're going farther with the dream than I had even experienced last night. To me, I, I, I wasn't being as specific as, well, I'm going to have this many people listen to the dream, and so now I'm experiencing this many people listening to the dream. It wasn't like that at all. I was simply doing what I do in my waking state, just visualizing, well, wouldn't it be great to have... You know, yeah. people in the listen. Uh, no, so many people tuning in, and and often my stories don't go very far, and they didn't go very far in the dream. It felt just like I was doing it in my waking state. Well, I think that's what's so cool is that you're you're doing in your, you found yourself doing in your dreaming state, the conscious creation techniques that you use in your waking state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does that tell you? It's like it's becoming, um, natural. So natural, you do it in your sleep. And we have that saying, right? Oh, he could do that in his sleep, right? <laughs> That's it's like, true. <laughs> Walt is such an amazing conscious creator. He just does it in his sleep. The other thing too is, I, I don't think I've ever felt like my, my sleep, my dream was the same as reality. Maybe I have. I Did mean, you last night? No. I, it was okay. very clear to me I was in a dream. Okay. I, I didn't have to do a, a reality check. <laughs> it wasn't even a question. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm dreaming. I know that. That's okay. You know, I had a dream a week or so ago. I might have said this on the podcast. It was so funny. I had a, you know, have you ever had a dream inside of a dream? I don't know what that means. Okay. What it means is you're dreaming and you wake up and you're like maybe telling someone about the dream you just had, but you're actually still dreaming. <laughs> and then you really and then you really wake up and you're like, i think oh. i had that when i was a kid one time but yeah it's been a long time ago <laughs> i the the other week i had like a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream i kept waking up in my dream and telling someone about the dream i just had and then saying and then waking up again but i was still wasn't really awake in real life and at one point in my dream i pinched myself 
because you know how they always say pinch pinch me to see if I'm dreaming. I pinched myself to see if I was dreaming and I pinched myself really hard in the dream. I was like, ow, that hurt. I must not be dreaming. I must be awake, but I still really was dreaming. And then I woke up and and I was like, oh, wow, this is, I don't even know how to explain this. Well, well let, me, let me pose another question for you. How do you know you're awake? <laughs> Maybe I'm not. I mean, right now we're doing this podcast or so we think. Well, so we think. I, know, I know I'm awake because... It's 824 Eastern time. And I looked away when I look back, it's still 824. It's still 824. But, so the reality check worked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I pinched myself and it wasn't really happening. So yeah. Hmm. But the clock always works, or at least it has for me so far. <laughs> so speaking of the clock, let's, uh, let's tell everybody how they can subscribe because i don't think we've done that yet. we have not you're right yes we, we always make it a point to do that at some point during the show so yeah actually three messages we need to give out the first one is if you are a non-subscriber perhaps this is your first episode um and you're, you're finding it to be entertaining first of all we're glad of that um second of all you are in line with a whole bunch of other people who have discovered us lately who are helping to increase our numbers because they're finding they were enjoying it too so here's the good news. You, you can become a subscriber and get all of the episodes that we do. We do 11 a week coming right to your smartphone every single day or tablet or whatever device you use. Um, and it's real simple to do if you have never subscribed before. Very, very simple. Um, the instructions are on the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net. And uh, basically, like if you're on an iPhone, you don't, you don't even have to go to the homepage. You can just go right to your podcast software. That's the cool thing about an iPhone. It has podcast app built right in you open it up and there's a little search icon little magnifier glass and click that and do a search on on loa today and boom there we are and then you click the subscribe button and now you've got all of our episodes coming directly to your phone um, android users are not left out in the cold of course they also can subscribe and we love them when they do so um, the only real difference is podcast uh, operating systems don't normally come with i'm sorry not podcast android Operating systems do not normally come with podcast apps built in, so you have to go find one in the Play Store. But fortunately, there are a lot of them, and many of them are free. Um, but you just find one, install it, and then do a search within that, just like the iPhone users do. And uh, you can find LOA today, and boom, now, now you can subscribe too. Um, and even tablet users can do it too, whether you have an iPad or, or um, you know, an Android-type tablet. It, it works just the same there as well. But please, do become a subscriber because... We make it a, a point every single episode to have so much fun that the fun is contagious and you're feeling like you're a part of it. And that's that's really the beauty of being a subscriber because it's a way of getting that lift every single day. So give yourself the lift because we know we're all deliberate creators, right? We're, we're all followers of the law of attraction. We know how important it is to get to that high-flying place. Well, LOA Today is a great way to make sure you're doing it twice a day, which is really cool. Second message. For those of you who are already subscribers, please keep posting out there. Many of you are doing it now, and we're, we want everyone to do it. Just post on your social media platform of choice, whatever you use, something about LOAToday.net. And when you do that, you're helping not only through the algorithms of social media, but also through the source energy of the Law of Attraction. You are putting out there, hey... Law of Attraction through uh, or Law of Attraction um, teaching through LOAToday.net teaching and not just teaching entertainment is great stuff, and other people find out about it, and then they also become subscribers. So you're helping to spread the word so that more and more people can get their daily dose of happy. So those are the two big messages. There's also a third one, which is we love to hear from you guys. 
we've had that uh, a couple times this week, Cindy. Um, we had, uh, yeah, we had a, uh, a caller come in on um, Monday morning. Um, and that caller, by the way, his name is Louis. He's, he lives in London. And after the call was done, Tom Wells, who was doing the podcast with me, said, you know, I've been thinking about uh, reducing down from two to one podcast a week. He'd be a great person to be the co-host. Well, not coincidentally, uh, Louis had actually originally contacted me by email saying, hey, I'd love to be a co-host. <laughs> so oh, wow. the law of attraction has done its thing again. And so Louis is going to be the new Monday morning co-host on LOA Today. Amazing. Which is very cool. So you never know what's going to happen when you call in as a listener. Um, we, we also had, of course, uh, Julie Ryan, who was our guest yesterday. And we had uh, one of our listeners uh, chatting questions to us through the Zoom chat. So that was fun, too. But it's great when you when you contact us, either by calling the show or just by using the contact form on the net website. Or however you, you choose to contact us through social media, Facebook. You, know, you can tweet something at us. Uh, um, although to be perfectly honest, if you want me to see it, don't tweet it to me because I don't look at Twitter. But <laughs> nevertheless, I look at Facebook. That's a good way to do it. Uh, we now have a, an Instagram person. We have somebody who's actually posting stuff for us on Instagram. Um, so there are a number of ways you can get in touch with us. But please get in touch with us because we love it. We love it when we I hear from one our of listeners. the first ways anybody ever contacted me um, about the podcast was Instagram. Really? Um, well, besides email, I mean, I did have I have had people uh, send me an email, but. Uh, somebody, I had made a comment on someone else's Instagram thread, had nothing else, it had nothing to do with law of attraction. Um, I just had made a comment and then someone commented to my comment and said, love your podcast with Walt. You guys are doing a great job. And oh, I was cool. like, wow, how cool. <laughs> so, so you, you won't find Walt maybe on Twitter, but you could find me over there. So there you go. <laughs> if, yeah. if you're a tweeter, you can tweet to me or find me on Instagram. <laughs> Those are the two places that I'm most likely to see it. That's good. Yeah. My, yeah my we're best, all over the place. My best place to be found is Facebook. I don't do a lot of social media, but that's your best shot. If you want to catch me on social media, that's the best place to try to get me. So so much fun. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. It's now, great. Now, when we were figuring out what we wanted to do with today's episode, we wanted to continue our series that you and I have started about looking at people who are wealthy but who have also made significant contributions to the human race. And we've done quite a few lately so far. We've, we've done a piece on Joe Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series. Uh, we did an episode on Ralph Lauren, the fashion uh, icon. Um, we did one on, uh, let's see, who else have we done? We, did, uh, we yeah, talked about Oprah Betty White, Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, we talked about Oprah Winfrey. Um, so we've done a few of them so far. And, and Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Mr. Rogers. Rogers. Oh, Fred Rogers. Favorite. That's right. Yes. Yeah, Fred yeah. Rogers. He was great, too. Um, but we're kind of figuring out, okay, who do we want to do next? And then you came up with Emma Watson, which I thought was a great choice, particularly since we well, did Joe Rowling. But You know that question that people ask? They're like, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or right, alive, right. Yeah. Be, right? You know, and I'm always, I always just draw a blank um, most of the time. <laughs> um, and I, of course, one of my answers to that question was always uh, Florence Scovel Shin. Oh, yeah. The, we've talked about her before on the podcast, the the author of um, the very famous New Thought book called The Game of Life and How to Play It. But when we start, we started this series because we had just finished up the book Money and the Law of Attraction. And what we realized is there was continually all through it direction to write a new money story. And so often people's money story, the old money story, the money story that's not doing us any good 
uh, is a very judgmental money story. <laughs> and it might have a lot of things in it like, I never get paid enough. And, oh, yeah. and it also may have things in it that point out that rich people, you know, act ways that we don't like. And, oh, yeah. you know, people are bad and mm. wealth is evil and, you know, all of this kind of thing. And we realized, well, that doesn't serve us very much. <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes the stories that we hear, the things we see in the news and the, the billionaires that get a lot of airtime in the news are people who maybe we don't want to behave like and we wouldn't mm. want to hang out with. And it hit us both that, you know, that's that's really not the majority of people with loads of wealth. Not at all. Uh, and because it's not the majority of people. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> and and so we, we just had this idea that, well, what if we were to get to know some people that were extremely wealthy and also people we would want to have dinner with, people that are doing good things in the world, people that have fun personalities, people that are kind. You know, Mr. Rogers, I loved the one quote we used of him uh, that he said that he there are three things that you have to do to be successful. Number one, always be kind. Number two, always be kind. Number three, <laughs> always be kind. And I thought, you know, so we started thinking about it yesterday about today's show. And, um, and I've always just liked Emma Watson. And, you know, Emma Watson, of course, um, is famous for her role as Hermione in Harry Potter. And so I thought, well, let's just find out a little bit about Emma. Yeah. <laughs> Emma earned $60 million in the Harry Potter series. And um, I'm not sure, you know, she's been in lots of other movies and done lots of other things. And so she that's, definitely. She that's clearly where she, that's, that's where she made her big money, though, no doubt about it, in the Harry Potter series. I mean, I think they said the first Harry Potter film came out and it grows $940 million. It's like, holy cow. Seriously? You've got wow. $940 oh million. Can you imagine nearly a trillion, a billion dollars for a film on its on its release? Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> That's just well, mind-blowing. I, I read something interesting when I was taking a very quick look at her um, biography, and that was that after the – there were how many movies? Uh, eight movies. Eight. Okay, that's what yeah. I thought. And which one was the Phoenix? Was that six? That was five. Five. Right. Okay. So after that movie, all three stars um, were hesitant to sign on for the next two. Mm. Um, and I, and in the article that I read, it didn't really say why, but well, it did for, from her point of view, um, because I think she finally agreed to after um daniel radcliffe agreed to oh really she was you know she held out a little longer and part of it was that well i mean altogether it was 10 years yeah it's a long time and and they all started as kids right. i mean young kids and she just didn't know if she knew that saying yes was four more years of commitment right and it seemed like a lot. And I was like, well, it does seem like a lot. And especially it, seems, it would seem like a lot to an adult, let alone to a, a kid. Yeah, a teenager. Oh, yeah. Four years seems like a long time. I remember when it was, you know, my time to go to college. <laughs> college is four years, right? right? And, and that just seemed like an eternity. Of course, when you're done with it, it's like, whoa, where did it go? But in the beginning, it seems like a long time. I often think of how fast the weeks go by now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now that I'm more advanced in my age, now that I'm not 10, right? But when I was a kid, you know, when it was like you had to wait until the weekend for something and it was Tuesday, yes, right. like it was <laughs> never going to come. And now it's like, oh, the weekend's just boom, boom, boom. So, yeah, so she wasn't sure that she wanted to to commit. But then I thought it was funny. She said um, she said she realized she could never hand off the role of Hermione to someone else. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I thought, yeah. oh, I guess not. I mean, you'd be very attached to it. Well, plus it's um, also a pretty big thing, I think, among actors. They they like working with certain actors. Like, for instance, um, a very famous friendship is between two British actors, Maggie Smith and Judy Dench. And they're they're very very close. They they don't they haven't worked together a lot in the same films, but they have at times. And there was one film. I'm I'm trying to remember which film it was. I think it may have been Ladies in Lavender, but uh, uh, there was the uh, producer was trying to convince them to come on board. And and uh, I guess he or she had talked with Judy Dench first, and then went to talk with Maggie. And Maggie said they they knew of course that both of the, of them were being uh, trying you know lured onto the show, trying to get them both to sign on. And Maggie asked, well, did you say yes? And the producer <laughs> says, yes, she did. And she says, oh, okay, well, then I'll do it. <laughs> not because of the money, not because of the role, but because her friend Judy Dench was going to be on the film. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love them both, too. Oh, they're terrific. They're yeah. absolutely terrific. I love I love. You don't get it very often, but I love it when they do scenes together. I remember the scene toward the end of the, the Best Exotic uh, Marigold Hotel. The two characters really hadn't interacted much at all. And they're near the end of the movie, and they greet each other. And uh, I think Maggie Smith's character says, "We haven't talked much, you and I," which is kind of like you know, a direct reflection of the fact that they haven't talked during the film as friends, right? That's funny. Uh, and, and you just watch their interaction. Of course, they're they're two brilliant actors, and, and the right. two of them are, are just you know holding their roles perfectly. But you can also see the sparkle in their eyes because you could tell they're loving doing that scene together. <laughs> oh, that's so great! Well, yeah, and I can only imagine that the cast of Harry Potter felt like that exactly. about each other. Yeah, I mean, I one mean, of the interesting things about Emma, Rupert, and and Daniel is. They're, they all describe themselves as three extremely different people, not the kind of people who would normally be good friends or something like that. But because of, they went through the experience together, they're very good friends because they're the only three people in the world who know what it's like. Right. Yeah. And it, wa- and it wasn't just, you know, one movie. It was 10 years of movies. That's right. So Eight movies. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I just think that, you know, having... And, you know, Emma Watson went to, um, she graduated with a degree in literature from Brown. From Brown University, yeah. And I believe she also went to Oxford. Um, So she continued her education and got her degree and has continued acting. Mm -hmm. She's she's done a lot of things, actually, especially for someone so young. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But I I thought what, what was interesting is her ideas, because... Of her part, I see it in her part, and I guess everyone would, but she she said that she works for a lot of feminist causes and women's rights work, and she promotes education for girls. And there was one quote, I was trying to find it, it so funny. Um, it was where she's talking about why she started looking into this and the idea of feminism, and it was that when she was really young, um, of course, I had the quote in front of me and now I've lost it. Oh. Um, I think she was 14 or, 
or 10. Yeah, that's pretty she young. Said, she said that she was, she was described as bossy. And I thought that was funny because that's her she, character. She had right? that little character, right? Yeah. But she was described as bossy, but her, but her male friends or other boys that she knew were not. Mm-hmm. Were the same types of being outspoken. And then she noticed that her, um, when she said when she was 18, that her um, friends, her male friends, she noticed that they really had trouble uh, showing their emotions. Whereas, you know, the women that she knew didn't. Mm-hmm. Here it is. It was a speech, a speech okay. that she gave. Um, it says Watson has promoted education for girls visiting Bangladesh and Zambia to do so. And in July of 2014, she was appointed as a UN women goodwill ambassador in September. Um, an admittedly nervous Watson <laughs> delivered an address at UN headquarters in New York city. Wow. It was kind of funny, right? Because she's acted forever, but this was like nerve wracking. I can imagine. Well, yeah, because it's live. It's, it's, address, right? when, when you're doing movies, you're just, you're acting for the camera and for your That's fellow right. crew members. You can redo and retake. Yeah. Um, so it says to launch the UN women campaign, he for she, which calls for men to advocate for gender equality in that speech. She said she began questioning gender-based assumptions at age eight. Okay. I knew she was young mm. um, at age eight. When she was called bossy, um, a trait that she has attributed to her being a perfectionist, whilst boys were not. And at 14, when she was sexualized by certain elements of the media, Watson's speech also called feminism the belief that men and women should have equal rights and equal opportunities and declared that the perception of man-hating is something that has to stop. Um, And so I thought it was interesting that she made this choice uh, to to delve more into these ideas mm. because of things that she experienced when she was eight. And not only <laughs> not only did she start that young, which is phenomenal. I mean, that she started so young, but more than that, and this is very common, not just in feminism, but in almost any kind of political movement you can name. It's really common for a movement to be hardest on its own people. That pattern it. I I don't think I've ever seen an exception to it. And I'm I'm a student of politics. I was a political science major in college. So I've spent a lot of time noticing this stuff and, and watching it. And it's just incredible how people within a particular movement will be brutal to their own followers. Absolutely brutal to them. And she experienced the same thing. I mean, she has gotten some really, really bad pushback, really unfair pushback, in my view, from the feminist movement. Which I think is just when, incredible, but but nevertheless, it's part of the pattern. Yeah, when she um when she gave that UN speech, she, within twelve hours, she started receiving threats. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, and she, and she said, you know, she said if they were trying to put me off women's right work rights work, it did the opposite. But <laughs> something that she's done that I thought was really cool, um, and it actually I didn't know a lot about Emma Watson besides just being a fan of her, you know, acting. Um, but I think it was a couple of years ago now, somehow I got an invitation. She, um, she started a feminist book club with Goodreads. I heard about that. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
it's like got a lot of members and is called Our Shared Shelf. And it's the goal of it is just to share feminist ideas and encourage discussion. They read, I think, one book a month um, and then they do a discussion. How interesting, and, too, that, that she's picked books as the media of choice, considering that Harry Potter started as books. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. And, and you know, she's got a, a degree in literature. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's connected. You know, I'm sure it, it is. I'm sure it's all connected yeah. because that's, you know, everything we do ends up affecting something else that we're doing. But I just think it's wonderful that she, you know, one of the, let me find this quote because it's really nice. Um, a quote from, from Emma Watson. Let's see. Okay. She said, I'm willing to be seen. I'm willing to speak up. I'm willing to keep going. I'm willing to listen to what others have to say. I'm willing to go forward. Even when I feel alone, I'm willing to go to bed each night at peace with myself. I'm willing to be my biggest, bestest, most powerful self. Hmm. Wow. And, you know, one of the things I thought was so interesting is that that idea, almost every quote that I've read from her um, has to do with really being who she is and not being afraid to who, to be who she is. Um you know, like this quote, don't feel stupid if you don't like what everyone else pretends to love. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, she says, I've, I give a hundred percent. I can't do it any other way. And I don't want people to decide what I am. I want to decide for myself. And so, you know, like you said, she's gotten a lot of pushback oh, yeah. um, and it's okay. Right. It's like, she's, she's yeah, going to her. be who she is regardless of, of, you know, how she gets responded to. Um, another quote, what gets scary is when your self-worth is tied up in what strangers think of you. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> um, she says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be who I really am. I'm going to figure out what that is. You know, she also has a, a certification in, in yoga teaching. She has a certification in meditation. She has a degree in literature and she's and she's doing all of this work and it's very obvious to me it that she has not let other people decide right <laughs> what she's going to do or who she is and so i think that's something that that we can all you know really take away because as far as conscious creation goes that's when we really become uh masterful at creating consciously is when we're willing to be who we are yeah. because, because inspiration's always going to be attached to us being authentic. And I don't know Rupert Grint's story as well. I know Daniel Radcliffe's story fairly well. And I, I know that the people behind the scenes during the filming of all the Harry Potter films were very protective and very supportive of the three young kids, as well as the other kids who were involved as, in secondary roles in the in the uh, the various movies. Uh, but the thing that impresses me, particularly about Emma and Daniel, is how well balanced they have become as adults. They're very balanced human beings. I haven't heard much about Rupert, so I don't know exactly where he's at. I imagine he's probably in a similar place, but I just don't know. But Emma and Daniel, in particular, have demonstrated a, almost wisdom beyond their years in their ability to stay 
imbalanced, focused, you know, not thinking too much of themselves, not thinking too little of themselves, not getting wrapped up in, you know, bad side adventures because they're they're not feeling good about themselves or whatever. They've really grown into remarkable human beings. Yeah, there was one quote that I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't read it in the context of the article. So I'm not sure where the quote was pointing, right? I don't know what question was asked of her to produce this answer, but mm. but I still loved it. She said, I had a job when I was 10. Yes, right. <laughs> I, started, I started living on my own when I was 17 or 18. I've earned my own money. I've traveled the world. What would I rebel against? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't happen, but it's still true. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, I, I'm I'm really curious to what the question yeah, was right. about, about her rebelling. It's like, what would I rebel against? Um, you know, possibly I'm thinking that of that idea that that teenagers are rebellious. You know, well, I, um, I I've had lots of conversations. Louise and I have talked about that a lot. About where does rebelliousness come from, and where it does comes from the and, and, in. And where does nature to be autonomous? Well, also, where, where also does sibling rivalry come from? Because both of us are convinced that uh, while everyone needs to become autonomous, it is not ingrained to have rivalries. It is not ingrained to be rebellious. That's not part of the growing up process necessarily. It has become that in most Western societies, and I suspect in Eastern societies as well. But that doesn't mean that's that's part of the nature of becoming a teenager and then a young adult and then an adult. It's the nature of becoming an adult within those societies. I'm convinced of that. It has nothing to do with I mean, the, the, the part that is true to the human being who's growing up is they want to be autonomous. They want to do things their way. They want to live their own way. They want to follow their own dreams. That is normal. That's natural. It's the rebellion part that isn't necessary to it. The only reason well, it's necessary it is because framed as rebellion. Well, it does get framed as rebellion, and it gets because treated we're as rebellion. Trying to be autonomous, right? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and sometimes the only way within a family structure, um, when we have pretty much no control over anything, you mm -hmm. know, as an eight-year-old, ten-year-old, twelve-year-old, fifteen-year-old, I mean, everyone is making the rules for us. Everyone is right. setting the standards and expectations for us. And a lot of things are the same, right? And in a family, we go the same places, do the same things, eat the same meals, watch the same programs, whatever it is that we do. A lot of the times it's the same that the only way we can be autonomous is to try to do something different mm -hmm, it's true. to decide we want to eat a certain way or dress a certain way or, and often that gets framed as rebellion yeah. Oh, yeah um and the tighter those constraints are to do it our way um the more it looks like rebellion when we try to break out of that little pattern and do something our own way so i don't i think that and as far as rivalry goes i don't know i think that it's ingrained in us to survive <laughs> right i mean we, that that's that squirrel brain again that is so important to us to get away from the dog that's chasing us, find a nut to eat and find other squirrel that we can procreate with to make more squirrels. Because those are the only three things that are important at that primal level of survival. Mm -hmm. We just have to survive. So it's built into us to make sure that we continue living. And I don't know, I think sometimes that shows up in, in different ways when it's not an issue.
Well, it, 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 yeah, living it, isn't, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be an issue, but it does become one. I, I think yeah. there's another aspect to uh, sibling rivalry. And I think what it comes down to is something directly tied into what we talk about in law of attraction circles and deliberate creation. And that is source energy, being connected to energy, being in alignment. Um, I think uh, uh, I think it was James Redfield who wrote the uh, Celestine Prophecy series of books pointed out that there is a lot of of um, energy and effort expended in trying to take energy from others, and that uh, it's, it's as if there was a shortage of energy. And mm. you know, some people will, will strive against other people because they're they're looking for energy and they don't know how to get it otherwise. Um, one one of the great things about learning about deliberate creation is learning that the energy actually comes from within, which again was also a Redfield point. Um, but the fact that it comes from within means that we don't have to try to steal energy from somebody else in order to feel energized. We can actually learn to connect within and get it that way. And that's really the, the healthiest way to get it because that's an unending flow. It never stops. But in, in a sibling rivalry, I think what happens is kids aren't really taught to go within very often. And Instead, they're taught through their circumstances to compete with each other for the attention of the parents. If you get enough kids involved in a family, there's only so much parent to go around. Right, exactly. You know? So it, eventually you get to the point where the rivalry becomes pretty intense because in their experience, in their knowledge, the only way they know to re-energize themselves is to fight for the parental attention. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that's true about the energy you know, um, I know I used to take a yoga class from a specific teacher. And one of the things that she would do at the beginning of the class that I still remind myself to do now is she would have everyone be very quiet and still and just relax. And then she would say, now just bring all of your energy back into yourself, all of the energy that's been reaching out and doing things for other people and you know, concern for other people and taking care of all these little chores and things that just bring it all back into your center. And I always thought that was a really interesting exercise because it's just a thought exercise, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. But it really does seem to have an effect. I think so. And yeah. And so often, you know, you were talking about other people taking your energy or taking energy from others. But a lot of times we're giving that energy as well. Oh, right? yeah. It works both ways. Sure. It's taking from me. It's that I'm just giving, 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 giving. Mm -hmm. And now I need to bring that all back and I need to, you know, ground myself and be able to uh, take care of my own, my own thoughts and my own needs. That's why I think and it's very important um, for parents to make a point of teaching their kids how, how they can go inside. They can go oh, within no. to to connect to everything that is. And I mean, that's part of what I hope happens with people who learn to become deliberate creators, who learn about the law of attraction. I, I hope that when, you know, for those who have kids, I hope they're teaching their kids that. I know uh, uh, I know some people do. I know you've talked about how you did with your kids. Um, our new co My new co-host on Monday, he's doing it with his young daughter. She's only like two or three years old, something like that. And already she's becoming a complete deliberate creator, which is really cool. I love that. <laughs> but I uh, read an article about a school where instead of like timeouts and detention, they, they have meditation. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not seen as a punishment. I mean, it's just a different system altogether mm -hmm. where they recognize. And I thought, wow, just think about it from the time if, if from the time you were five or six 
you knew that when you started feeling something uncomfortable, instead of acting out, you knew meditation was the thing that was going to smooth everything out and make everything okay. Yeah, it's a good tool to have. That's for sure. And I thought, I, well, and I, and I, I say that as someone who doesn't meditate much, or at least didn't think he meditated much. I, I can't remember if it was you or one of the other co-hosts who pointed out to me that I've actually been a meditator and didn't know it. Yes, yes. <laughs> because I and do what they call walking meditation. Accidental yoga, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> accidental yoga, yeah. Lie down on the floor. Oh, it's a yoga pose? Really? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, finding out that I was actually doing um, meditation was, was quite the eye-opener. And it also expands the definition of it a lot. Once you expand the definition, you, you begin to realize... Meditation is almost whatever you make it. It really just comes down to one thing. Is it helping to calm your mind? If it is, it's meditation. I think it's, you know, a fantastic thing to teach it to kids at an early age. So that they can, I mean, it's it's part of the process for me of conscious creating. So it is. That's, and that's what I, I mean, I started teaching my kids that when they were young teenagers, I wish I would have, you know, taught known more to teach them when they were as young as five or six Mm -hmm. Um, but i can see now that they're adults that it had an impact and Mm -hmm. that they're you know very good at it (laughs) they're they're good at consciously creating what they want so which is good and i have to say i've i also now know today that it can actually lead to the point where you end up doing lucid dreaming creation i didn't know i didn't know i could do that well apparently that's the next (laughs) step in my journey is learning that particular skill level so to speak so apparently it shows up and starts emerging from my pores in various ways i had not anticipated (laughs) well i'm i'm happy we didn't delve too deep but if we can take anything away from from our discussion of of emma watson this young woman who is doing good things in the world and has been so powerful with everything she's done her acting is so memorable you know no one will ever forget her as Hermione. Oh, she was brilliant before. as Hermione. Oh, and but just the idea that you know she says that I don't want other people to decide who I am. I yeah. want to decide that for myself. If we could all remember that, we get to decide for ourselves who we are and who we're becoming. Um, that will f- make all of us more powerful in our in our creative endeavors. That's a very strong, admirable young woman. And just another example of how someone with money can be a really remarkable person that that we can admire, that we can admire and love and just feel so good about. So, well, thank you for for picking her as a topic, um, <laughs> because I mean she's she's a great example of it. I mean she's right in there with um, uh, Fred Rogers because we with some of the earlier ones we were talking about their philanthropy and so forth with Emma and Fred their philanthropy was just being who they were and and relating to other people the way they were that was that's their philanthropy and it's far yeah. better than the monetary kind i think and i'm sure there's enough of that as well oh there's plenty of it sure yeah, yeah. it's just not what you hear about the most yeah well i look forward to carrying on the conversation later tomorrow morning but in the meantime uh, we're going to have to wrap it up so it's been it's been a pleasure Cindy Thank you. Always a pleasure. I will be back tomorrow morning, and you will be back this afternoon. I will indeed, and we hope that you join us next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.